comes up to read that to us. Uh, you can find that on page 752 in the Blue Bibles uh, under your seats. Um, but just because it is a little bit obscure uh, for, for many of us, I found uh, this little blurb in the back of, in the bla- back of my Bible, which um, just a paragraph that gives a bit of context to what's happening um, in Obadiah, just so that it helps us, I guess, to follow along as it's read to us in, in just a moment. So I'd just like to read this um, paragraph to you, just for a bit of context. Obadiah wrote this shortest book of the Old Testament probably soon after the armies of Babylon destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC. During this conquest, the people of Edom helped capture fleeing Israelites and turn them over to the Babylonians. They even took up residence in some Judean villages. This angered the Lord, for the Edomites, as descendants of Esau, were related to the Israelites and therefore should have helped them. Obadiah prophesied that Edom would be repaid for mistreating God's people. Obadiah also asserted that God is sovereign over the nations and that the house of Jacob would be restored because of God's covenant love for his people. Thanks, Winnie. Thank you. Please read the scriptures together with me. Obadiah verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, or what a disaster awaits you, would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Timon, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march to the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait in a, at the crossroads to cut down their refugees, oh sorry, their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble.
Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the message through your prophet Obadiah. Help us to see its application to our lives and our church and our day. Even as we look at it now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the major themes in the Bible is that of reversal. That is, God is going to overturn. God is going to upheave and reverse. The powerful, the seemingly unassailable will be brought low and the humble shall be lifted up. In Jesus' Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Reversal. One of the clearest examples of this theme of reversal is in Mary's song. We call it the Magnificat sometimes. She's just found out that she, this young girl, in humble circumstances, will be the mother of the Messiah. And she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things even for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. It's all according to promise. This reversal This theme of reversal is to shape our lives as believers. James writes in James chapter 4, verse 6, Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Proverbs 3, 34. Submit yourselves then to God. Be humble. Resist the devil who tells you to be proud and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Humble yourself. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It's a constant theme. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because, Proverbs 3, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, God's way is the way of reversal. He lifts up the lowly, he brings the mighty and the proud down. So we come to the smallest book of the Old Testament, the most minor of all the minor prophets, Obadiah, where we meet the theme of reversal 
particularly as it relates to God and what he has promised to do. Obadiah's story, the background of Obadiah's prophecy is really the story of two brothers and it goes all the way back to Abraham, God calling Abraham. He told Abraham, through your descendants, your seed, I'm going to make a great nation, I'm going to give you land and I'm going to bless the entire world through your descendants. Well, Abraham had one son of the promise. In old age, he named him Isaac. Isaac also struggled to have children, but he had two boys, Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers. Esau was the firstborn, the first out on that day, and therefore he was the natural heir of the promises and the inheritance and the blessing. Esau was a rough man of the field. Esau was a man's man. Esau is going to Vic's place tonight with pizza and no salad. The other brother's name was Jacob. He was a homebody. He was a mummy's boy. He was a cheat. He was a deceiver, a plotter and schemer. There's a big difference between Esau and Jacob, but you know the biggest difference was that Esau prioritised his appetite, his belly, the worldly pleasures, whereas Jacob, Jacob's priority was the blessing, the inheritance, That's what he wanted. So one day Esau, who'd been out hunting, came in from the field and he was starving, he was famished and Jacob made a pot of soup, a bowl of soup and he said, you can have the soup, just give me the inheritance. Sell it to me, trade the promise and you can have the soup and Esau exchanged the blessing for a bowl of soup. It was a bad deal. And from that point on, we had an uneasy sibling rivalry. We had two brothers, but they were sort of enemies, frenemies, brothers, enemies, frenemies, brothers. These two brothers became the fathers of two nations. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the children of the promise. Esau became the father of Edom the Edomites, and they settled down south of the Dead Sea, southeast of the Dead Sea. We'll get to that picture in a minute. No, we'll leave it there. (laughs) Edom, you can see, and they became brothers of two, the founders of two nations. One of the nations had a capital city called, eventually called Jerusalem. It was a fortress city. It was set high on a hill on this mountain they called Mount Zion. And here's an artist's depiction of ancient Jerusalem. Set up high as a fortress city, Mount Zion. Here was the temple of God, the palace of the king. Here was the promises of God that he would bless the world through this city. Edom also had a capital city named Sela, which was later changed to Petra, as its name. It too was on a mountainous area. We'll move to the next story, the next one. This is a picture of Petra slash Sela, the capital of Edom. Set near Mount Seir, another mountain, the mountains of Esau. It's hidden away in these red sandstone highlands. Look at this fortress city they built. You've probably seen this picture before of the treasury carved around the Roman time. 
Sela was a great fortress, nearly impregnable of high rock formations, reached only by narrow, vulnerable gorges. It was a great fortress. Two fortress cities, two mountains, Seir and Zion. Jerusalem, Sela. Two brothers, Jacob and Esau, Israel and Esau. When Obadiah received his vision, these two mountains, these two cities, these two brothers had two very different realities. You see, as Vic mentioned, in 586 BC, the Babylonian army came and they completely sacked Jerusalem. Mount Zion was turned into rubble and Israel, the nation, well, it became seemingly a non-nation because it was destroyed. The people were taken into exile to Babylon. And when this happened, Edom, the brother, rejoiced and indeed enabled that and profited from that calamity. One brother, one mountain is in ruin and dejection and is humbled the other mountain the other brother is secure and safe and indeed rejoicing and profiting. And so these two mountains, these two brothers had two different hopes. Edom's hope was in itself. <laughs> we're secure, we're okay, no one can touch us. Israel's hope having been completely humbled. Israel's only hope was in the Lord their God and the promises that he had made for them. Without that, they had nothing. And the prophet Isaiah has a vision, mostly about Edom, the other brother, the red brother. And we're looking at the prophecy against Edom in these first 14 verses of this chapter. But as we do, I want us to imagine, I don't really think it's that hard to do, I want you to imagine that Peno is Edom, that we this church, Pennant Hills Baptist Church, are Edom. And as we do that, I want you to hear the word of the Lord to Edom. Because I think it's very relevant. It's a simple message of judgment. Don't puff yourself up because don't think you're your somebody because the truth is you're nobody and you're going down. Indeed, you're going way down. The vision of Obadiah, this is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. To be small, to be a nothing, to be a nobody, and then to be despised. What horror. See, we will pay any price. We will suffer. We will endure hardship as long as we become somebody or something. As long as people like us or respect us or fear us or envy us. That's what we want. Don't make me nobody. Don't make me nothing. Don't have people despise and look down their nose at me. which could never happen to our church, could it, that we could ever be despised or a nothing church or a nobody church. It wouldn't happen here. It might happen to other small churches that we might look down our nose at, but not this fellowship. Edom's great problem, their big, big problem, was their presumptuousness, or if you like, their pride. Verse 3. 
The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. How deceptive. That phrase could be translated at the start. The presumptuousness of your heart has beguiled you. So overwhelmed by my own glory. My greatness, my honour that I can't see straight. That I'm blinded, that I'm deceived. We're like Narcissus. You know the Greek myth, the Greek god Narcissus who came upon a crystal clear pool of water and bent down and saw his face in the water and was so beguiled by his own beauty that he drew closer and closer and closer and every time he wanted to pull himself away, he couldn't because he was so beautiful, so glorious and Narcissus died staring at his image in the water. It's the way of humanity. It's the root of our disease. It's Satan's greatest weapon to drag us down our own pride. This foolish deception that has brought so many nations down, so many churches down, so many men and women down. Edom says, look at our fortress. Who can bring us down? Look at our narrow gorges. Look at our security. We're impregnable. Now I want you to notice this. You saw the photos. It was very impressive. They had a reason for righteous glory. But their fortress city was not everything and it didn't, certainly didn't make them everything. The reality is Edom was a small nation amongst the nations. They weren't so impressive. They were isolated. They were in a very difficult, dry, mountainous place. They survived through trade. They had next to no significant agriculture. They were on a trade route though and they had a fortress. And it was dry. They could provide services. And we do this, we do what Edom does, we focus on one or two things that we think makes us great, better than everybody else. You know, I'm a bit smarter than everybody else. Most people. Actually, I think I'm smarter than just about everybody. Oh, no, 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 I'm more charismatic. I've got... I could, Talk anyone into anything. I've got this personality that's irresistible. I'm super good at music and those other people are Philistines by comparison to me. I am the most creative person I know. I just, people don't recognise it. I am more determined than everybody else and I will win in the end. All those things may have a measure of truth. But they don't make you everything. 
and they don't make me anything. I'm better at this and I'm better at that, therefore I'm better than everybody else and nobody can bring me down, puff, 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 puff. Look at our church. Most churches don't have buildings as nice as these ones. We're a bit better, aren't we? Most people don't have the fellowship that we have or the really smart people. Do you know how many smart people we've got? We've got the smartest people, PhDs, doctors, lawyers, musicians, everybody's smart. No one's got music as good as us. No one does food as well as Peno does. Our Bible teaching is second to none. We're better. You can't bring us down. Puff, puff, puff. You trust in yourselves and you can save yourself and you have no need for the living God. But everything we have comes from the hand of God. We only live by grace. We have no room for boasting. And it doesn't matter how big or how powerful or how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how high you soar. Though you soar like the eagle, though you make your home amongst the stars, your nest amongst the stars, from there, says the Lord, I will bring you down. And how low, how low will you go? Well, the Lord makes it perfectly clear. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you, would they not steal only as much as they wanted? They don't take absolutely everything, do they? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes from the harvest? But how Esau will be ransacked, how his hidden treasures will be pillaged, it's all going down way down. There will be a reversal for the proud. If we put our hopes in the wrong place, if we put our hopes in things that are basically insecure, we will be like Edom. That's what Edom did. They trusted, you know, in their friends to save them. Their allies. They were on a trade corridor. People needed them. All these people passing through. We've got all these friends. We will and deal. Verse 7. Your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. But you will not detect it. And our church, well, we're in the Baptist Association and we're part of the community and we know politicians and the mayor and businesses and the school across the... We're okay. We've got lots of friends. Edom was renowned for its wisdom. You find that in the Bible. Eliphaz the Temanite, Job's friend and many other references to the wisdom of Edom. Verse 8. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? those of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Oh, look at Penna. We've got the best elders. We've got such great pastors. We've got fantastic ministry leaders. We've got the smarts. We're fine. No one can pull us down. Edom trusted in its troops, its freedom fighters, 
Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified and everyone on Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. And we can say, oh, look at our ministries, look at Pano life, look at, I'll pick on him, Justin Wong, we had him up the front here. We're fine. Look at bubbles. Look at our people. Look at our ministries. The allies, the leaders, the army, they are all false securities because God is on the throne and he will bring down the proud and the self-exalting. He will bring them low. There will be a reversal. But Edom's greatest mistake in this prophecy, led by its pride, is to side with the Babylonians, the great world force. When Jerusalem was sacked, they who were just a minor player sat on the sidelines cheering. They joined the party. They were like their ancestor Esau and they dishonoured their brother and they ignored God's promises to him in order that they might satisfy their own appetite and profit from the pleasures of this world. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah on the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand them over to their survivors in the day of their trouble." Throughout the Bible, Babylon is a symbol of this world's order, the city of this world, its priorities, its appetites, its hopes and its dreams, which are so often at odds with the city of God and God's purposes. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't side with the world in opposition to God, not at, not at Pano. We wouldn't pursue status or material advantage, or comfort, or acceptance, or ease as God's people throughout the world suffer enormously. Would we, in our self-sufficient pride, ever let Babylon seduce us so that we abandon God's promises and take hold of the things this world pursues and serve them? Would we stand on the sidelines and watch and secretly rejoice as God's people suffer and are persecuted? The Apostle John says in his letter of 1 John, chapter 1, Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. 
The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. Those who are filled with the lust of the world, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, they're going down. They're going way down. Their false securities will fail. The world will turn against them. It happens. The world that you pursue so desperately will turn against you. Are we Edom? Are we putting our hope in all the wrong places? Are we deceived by our own pride? It's not hard to imagine. It's true, is it? I don't think it's hard to imagine. That we let go of God's promises, we exchange God's purposes for the things of this world which fail. Now the nature of sin has not changed through the centuries. Satan's deceptions and tactics remain the same from age to age. We are Edom, each one of us, and corporately we are Edom. There is nothing new under the sun. And we're going down in our pride and our self-exaltation. And is there any way out? Is there any way up? The good news of Jesus, the good news of God is there is, but there's only one way up. And it's not by our own strength. The only way up, remember this principle of reversal, is through humble repentance and faith, is to go down. Remember that principle of reversal. Mary, you've scattered those who are humble, proud and you've brought the humble up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord that he may lift you up because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The only way up is if we bring ourselves down under God's mighty hand and hold fast and stand firm on his promises. You know, at the height of the kingdom of Israel, King Solomon was on the throne, David's son. The, the almost an empire it was a huge, huge, huge kingdom centred in Jerusalem. They dedicated the temple of the Lord and the Lord appeared by night to King Solomon and warned him, if you are proud, if your kingdom exalts itself, you will go down, which is exactly what happened. The Babylonians sacked them. They got proud. They went down. But the Lord tells them, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send a plague amongst you, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear, heal their land. The only way up is first to go down in humility. 
and trust God's promises. And you know, the greatest reversal, we see this demonstrated in the Gospel because the greatest reversal of all is our Lord Jesus Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to and grasped but he made himself nothing became obedient as a servant even obedient to death on a cross where he would die to set us free so that we might be lifted up and therefore God exalted him to the very highest place and has given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a reversal. And Jesus' reversal is humanity's hope. It's the fulfilment of all of God's promises And if you come to the cross of Jesus, where he died for you, you come with empty hands, broken there by the love of God that was shed abroad for you. And you take hold of him and you find that by holding fast to Jesus, that he will lift you up so that you even share in his resurrection life and even share in his glory. See, Pennant Hills Baptist Church, our only hope is to humble ourselves, to confess our sins, to turn from sin, to repent and to come to Jesus as Lord and to hold fast to his gospel and make that our only boast. Jesus is my Lord. He is my King. And stand firm on his promises. And as we will see next week when we look at that Peno is Israel, we become grafted into the people of God. We become heirs of the promises. We become children of the kingdom. Saved out of this world for God's greater purposes and greater glory. It's good news. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, that he may lift you up. Amen. Well, I guess the challenge has been who... Do we trust in? Who do we boast in? Uh, Let our boast be in the Lord. Let our hope be in God and in his uh, great promises. We're going to close by singing um, an old hymn, standing on the promises of God, um, reminding ourselves that he is our hope. So please stand and we'll sing together. Standing on the promises of God